Hey there, I'm Abel, and I'm so happy to be speaking to you today. I prayed recently about what God might want to say to us as a church in this season of mixture, where we're not always sure if it's a season of emergence or submergence or divergence. What may God be saying in this period of beginning and foundation laying? And I really believe that at this time, the Lord wants to encourage us with His presence, but also to offer us the gift of His perspective. You know, in the Bible, every time the Lord strengthens His people, He gives them both His presence, often drawing close to His people, speaking words of hope and promise to them, but also He gives them His perspective, a new perspective, a strength and purpose for the challenge ahead. Through both the blessing of His presence and perspective, we then receive new strength. And in the scripture we're about to read today, we see how God pours His blessing on His people. So would you like to receive the blessing of God today? Let's read together the words of the Beatitudes from Matthew 5 verse 1 to 10. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to Him and He began to teach them. And He said, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the, the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. We just read what is popularly known as the Beatitudes or the beautiful attitudes. And when Jesus first spoke these words, he spoke them as a kind of commencement speech, a manifesto of his kingdom come. You could even hear these words as God saying, I have arrived. But these words also sent shockwaves to the first century world because no ruler, emperor or king had ever built their kingdom on the foundations that Jesus was about to lay. Jesus was describing not preconditions of his kingdom, but the promise of his favor for the people he loves and the character of God. And with each line, he began with the word blessed, which is the Greek word makarios, which translates to fortunate, happy, or the privileged recipient of God's favor. Do you want to be among the people who are called the privileged recipients of God's favor? And as Jesus proclaims the culture of his kingdom, almost like a company CEO standing before his company and saying, these are the values of our company, Jesus subverts two common misconceptions about what makes us happy and who he calls blessed. He says, happy are those who are poor in spirit, those who are meek, those who are mourning. And then in verse 10, he even says, happy are those who are persecuted. And he says, these are the people who may seem the unlikeliest to be called happy, but they are actually the truly happy ones. Why does he do that? I believe the answer to this strikes at the heart of what actually gives us purpose and meaning and therefore true joy in our life. 
it was the theologian Thomas Aquinas who pointed out that we all have within ourselves an infinite longing for something the world can't quite satisfy. And yet, we attempt to fill the longings of our hearts with something less than God. And so, all throughout our lives, we would attempt to fill these longings with at least three substitutes, wealth, pleasure, or power, and sometimes a combination of these. But in the Beatitudes, Jesus subverts this and he says true happiness can only be found in the detachment from these substitutes. You see, in and of themselves, wealth, pleasure, and power can, can be used for good. They are often gifts to enjoy, but they are poor masters and they can never feel the infinite longings of the human heart. So Jesus says to detach from your dependence on, on wealth, pleasure, and power, the antidote is to be poor in spirit, to be found mourning, and to be meek. In university, I, I used to attend a Christian fellowship, and I would occasionally lead worship there. Now, they were really scraping the bottom of the barrel to ask me to lead worship. There weren't many people at all there. And on uh, one of the days when I was worship leading, we had on our team a very new keyboardist very inexperienced. This was like his first time uh, being on the worship team. And in a university Christian gathering, you know, we don't have a lot of funds. Actually, we were quite, um, <laughs> quite poor. So our instruments were not the newest. And often we actually took our instruments from home. They were quite old. And on this day, when I was worship leading, we had the keyboard that was brought from someone's home, a really old one uh, to be used by this keyboardist. And on this keyboard, there was this single button just above the key, I think the letter C. And on, uh, on that key, uh, basically there were two letters on top of that button. And it just spelled these two letters, D-J. Now, as you can imagine, the button only had one purpose, which was to make this sound. Every time you pressed it, you would hear a sound that goes like this. D-J, D-J. Now, Obviously, that served no purpose whatsoever for our sung worship, but you can see where I'm going with this story. And on this day, as I, I, I led worship with my new and inexperienced keyboardist, right, this new button posed a whole different level of threat to our devotion to the Lord. On this day, while we were singing at this time of worship, everything was going well. Actually, uh, things were, were, were amazing. Everyone loved singing. You know, we had an amazing time worshiping God. Uh, the presence of God felt so strong in the room. And then came the time to change key. And, you know, if you're on the worship team, you would notice sometimes there are actions like this. And so I, I sort of did this to my keyboardist uh, to motion him to change the key. And almost like slow motion, I saw his finger lift like this, and I saw it going down towards that button, the DJ button. And into that quiet, beautiful moment of our sung worship, as our hands were lifted up in worship, came this deafening noise, DJ, DJ. And I looked at him, he looked back at me, there was a moment of utter confusion, and then he realized, oh, I had just pressed the DJ button. So he pressed the button again, hoping that that would stop it, except that turned on mode number two. DJ, DJ. And it was just 
it was just panic and chaos. I, I saw the hands going down. People were starting, starting to laugh. Uh, and he had no idea what to do. So he kept pressing all the other buttons on his keys. I think at one moment, there was even an overlay of the accordion. It felt like an orchestra from hell. And it was so bad. And it lasted for what felt like eternity. Until finally, my keyboardist had only one solution left which was to unplug the cables and to detach the wires from the keyboard. And then there was a deafening silence. You could hear a pin drop. And that was a pretty rough day. I mean, we had to go straight to the offering. There was no recovery from that moment. But I was really thankful for one thing that day. The keyboard could reset. And today, you know, some of us might be in this deep place of deep dissatisfaction. You might even describe yourself as being in a place of unhappiness. This Beatitudes offers a, a way to detach ourselves from the things that the world says can make us happy, but we know that can never feel the eternal longings of our hearts. And so I want to look at the first three Beatitudes as the antidotes to the false noises, the false answers of happiness. Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, verse three. To be detached from the false security of wealth, be poor in spirit. This means to be surrendered to God and to be utterly dependent on God. Now, Jesus is not saying money is evil. In fact, money can be a powerful weapon for good. In the Bible, wealth has sometimes come as, as a byproduct of God's favor. Paul does write in 1 Timothy 6 verse 10, it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil, not money in itself. So this beatitude is not merely talking about currency, it is really referring to our dependency. Where do we put the roots of our dependency into? You see, to be poor in spirit is to recognize our desperate need of God in our lives. And if wealth can give us the power of options, you know, the power to pick what is most expedient or convenient, then being poor in spirit is the recognition that I have no other option, no true alternative apart from the grace of God. And that means that in a choice between following God or following our gut, we rely on Him because God is full of truth while our gut is full of spaghetti. Those who are poor in spirit are rich in favor because the ones who have emptied their hands, who have opened their hearts, are most ready to receive the blessings of God. Number two, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Verse four, Jesus said in verse four, if you mourn, you will be comforted. So to be freed from the clutches of pleasure, Blessed are those who mourn, who aren't afraid to be vulnerable. You see, those who have had their hearts broken because of a spirit of repentance, which is to turn to God, these are the people that God promises will comfort. Now, this beatitude is not referring to a kind of masochism that says God loves it when we are sad. No, it speaks about God's deep love for us and His presence with those who are going through a difficult time who cry in the quiet, whose hearts are broken because of what they see in themselves and in the world around them. In fact, this kind of mourning leads to healing and not to destruction. 
It was in uh, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 that we read, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. It It leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So are you pained by what you see in the lives of the people you meet in your, your circles of friends? Are you, are you in anguish in any way in your personal walk? You know, there's a line in a popular song that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. And the Lord promises in His kingdom manifesto, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Over this pandemic years, many of you have become a lifeline to someone simply by showing up for them, simply by being on a call with them or through a text or by opening up, or opening up your home for someone in need to provide community and friendship to them. And you might even have been hurt by serving hurting people. God wants you to know He is near the brokenhearted. He will bind up the wounds. He will bind up the, the ones who are brokenhearted. Do you know that as timeless as the law of sowing and reaping is, that there's always you know, a reaping when there is a sowing, that you always reap what you sow. There's actually one exception to this law of what you reap is what you sow. And that exception is found in Psalm 1 to 6, verse 5 and 6, where it says this, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. If you are mourning, God sees the tears and He promises His comfort. You don't reap more tears when you sow tears. But as you mourn for the condition of the world and as you are having a broken heart for the people around you, you will reap joy as you sow in tears. Number three, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Jesus goes on to say in verse five, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. So to be liberated from the trappings of power, be meek which means to have power under control. Meekness is not weakness. In fact, meekness is the combination of gentleness and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit that gives us the character of Christ. So to understand what meekness is, it's helpful to look at the history of actually how this word was used. There were three common uses for this word in the Greek world. And in those days, meekness was used to describe firstly, the potency of medicine by doctors, the appropriate dose of medicine. To have too much medicine would kill, but just right, it would heal. Secondly, meekness was used to describe the force of wind by sailors. You see, a gentle breeze is refreshing, but too strong a breeze, too strong a wind like a hurricane can be destructive. And thirdly, meekness was used by farmers in the breaking of a wild horse. And and the idea here is not to break the horse of its strength and speed, but rather to break the horse of its stubbornness and its self-will. Notice in these three examples, meekness is great power, but used wisely and with self-control. And Jesus said, if you are meek, you will reap influence. You will inherit the earth. 
I think of St. Paul who, as he grew in ministry and wisdom, the more he grew older, the more meek he became in his character. At the start of his ministry around AD 55, uh, we read in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9, in describing the grace of God saving Paul from his past of sin, Paul wrote these words, I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve this title because of how I used to persecute the church. And then about five years later in Ephesians 3 verse 8, Paul wrote these words, I am less than the least of God's people. Still, five years later, in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, towards the end of his ministry, he wrote these words, I am the worst of all sinners. Now, what do we see here? Is Paul getting worse with age? Is he becoming more wicked as he ages? No, the more mature he was, the more meek he became. Paul had less to prove and everything to offer by the end of his life, including his pride and including his entrapment to power. And as we embrace brokenness, as we live humbly and seek righteousness, we will become more like Christ and we will have the heart and mind of Christ. I said earlier that when Jesus proclaimed the Beatitudes, he subverted two common misconceptions about what makes us happy and who he calls blessed. And these words would echo throughout history of some, as some of the most beautiful but shocking words. It's not wealth, pleasure and power that will give you true happiness, but a dependence, reliance, and surrender to God that will. But as Jesus pronounced the Beatitudes and described the kingdom of heaven, Jesus was also giving us a map to his heart and his kingdom through these words. And here I'd like for us to watch this scene in this beautiful series, uh, The Chosen, where Jesus and Matthew are imagined to have a conversation about his Sermon on the Mount. And this is an imagined depiction of Jesus and Matthew in a private moment as they talk about the words Jesus would say before he delivers the sermon, almost like the game before the game. Uh, all throughout season one and season two, Jesus had been recruiting his disciples. The word was getting out about this Jewish rabbi who performs miracles, who heals the sick, who casts out demons uh, and changes lives. And now the disciples are getting ready to welcome thousands of people from far and wide to hear this rabbi speak. But they are about to get more than what they imagined. They would soon discover that Jesus was more than a teacher, but their long-awaited Messiah. So let's have a look. In this moment, the writers of the series imagine Jesus and Matthew uh, to have this almost uh, pre-chat before Jesus' big sermon on the mount in Matthew 5. And Matthew here, he's pictured as this scribe who's writing down the notes of the sermon. And he's privileged to hear what Jesus uh, has to say as the moment comes to deliver the sermon. But the sermon needs an introduction and Jesus hasn't given him the introduction yet. Then at the crack of dawn, Jesus wakes Matthew up and he says, Matthew, I've got it. And Matthew asks, the opening? Yes. What is it? A map. Directions where people should look to find me. And then Jesus, looking over the place where his disciples were, begins to say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for persecution, for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he looks at Matthew and says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward will be great in heaven. And Matthew then asks, yes, but how is this a map? And Jesus says, if someone wants to find me, those are the groups of people they should look for. You see, in the Beatitudes, Jesus was really describing himself, the one who is poor in spirit, who mourns for his people, and who is meek. The world may overlook the people described in the Beatitudes, but while the poor in spirit are often forgotten, the meek often ignored, the ones mourning often avoided, Jesus is found among them. And Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Today, you can know that God sees you when we're at the end of ourselves, when we are struck down, when we're mourning and at a loss. But perhaps the larger blessing is this, that when over the coming year, we open our homes and Zoom rooms to people who are poor in spirit, who may be meek and mourning and persecuted, who are oppressed, we get to meet Jesus in a different way. If not now, then when? If not us, then who? Because God is calling us to join in in the building work of His kingdom. And He's building an army that is made of broken hearts, of open hands, of serving postures, and of people longing for His kingdom to come, one person at a time. Amen? I love to pray for us wherever we are as we watch this right now. To come to the Lord, you may want to raise your hands uh, like this as a gesture, as, as an act and posture of saying, Lord, I'm open for whatever you have. And we're just going to wait for a moment wherever we are now for the Holy Spirit to come, to fill us and to speak to us. So come, Holy Spirit. We love you and we invite you into the spaces of our rooms, wherever we are right now. We wait for you. Come Holy Spirit. I uh, just have a, a picture of someone who is watching this right now and uh, you know, you're thinking, you know, I, I, I'm at the end of the rope, uh, almost like at the, the dead end uh, of a situation, and you're not sure about what to do. Perhaps you even feel a bit paralyzed uh, by the decision you need to make. And there's a part of you that is mourning this moment right now. And I think God wants you to know that He, he promises His comfort, that He is near the brokenhearted, and that those who are struck down who, who seem downtrodden, these are the people whom God is closest to. So I'd love to pray for you if you feel like you're in that situation right now. I also sense that um, there are people here, actually many people who over this past few pandemic years, uh, you've been in this position where you've met many people that Jesus describes 
in these Beatitudes, the people who are brokenhearted, who are mourning, who, who seem timid, uh, who, who, who are meek, but really are strong because they have strength under control. And these may be people that the world tends to ignore and avoid, but you are meeting them and you need strength to continue to serve them. And the Lord wants to encourage you and to give you new perspective and His presence as He fills you with His strength to serve these people. Be encouraged that these are the people that Jesus is closest to. In fact, Jesus says, when you serve them, you're serving Him. It's a map to where He is. So Jesus, we thank you for your words of hope, for your new perspective and your presence with us. And we say, come Holy Spirit, wherever we are, whoever is watching this right now, that you would fill them with renewed hope and faith that you will do what you will complete. In Jesus' name, amen.